Welcome, my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, got my hot water for my throat, uh, just in case. A couple announcements, because we don't have enough announcements already, Phil said, you got to mention this and this, so I thought I would. Um, Tonight at Pursuit School, Phil is talking about the role of prophecy uh, in the local church, so please uh, come on out to that. Also, our small group calendar wall up there, the the weird word that it spells, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, There is three groups, I believe, starting off this week, so tomorrow night is... uh, Purpose Driven Life, um, and then Tuesday evening is Alpha 2.0, just kind of getting together, talking about Alpha stuff and, and re-watching some videos, and then um, Wednesday night, I hope to have uh, Wendy Viju if she's here, her group starting. They're all in a random room here in the church, so just come to the front and uh, come to the main doors and we will go from there. Also, oh, Hello. TV. Uh, also, uh, men's group is tomorrow night, uh, once a month meeting. Tomorrow night, I think it's $5. Uh, does anybody know what time it starts at? 5.30. Phew. Uh, thank you for not leaving me hanging there. Um, I just want to say before I begin, at the, at the end, I'm going to be reading a story, and it, it, I'm going to try to um, read it properly, but there might be, I just want a trigger warning, there is some stuff in that story that is, is a bit heavier. And, and, and what we're talking about today is uh, faith and doubt, and, and allowing doubt in our world um, that faith seems that we need to have certitude in something certain. Do you got that feedback coming up there? Can you hear that? I don't know. Um, so faith and doubt, allowing, allowing room for questions, that's what we want to talk about. And this series is about questions. You know, if you sleep well, I sleep well, and that is a gift. If you don't sleep well, you know that is a very, very difficult thing. And you know what happens when you wake up at two in the morning, uh, every single thought that you've ever had comes flooding your way at that moment. Did I pay the bill? Did I get this done? Have I registered the kids for enough events in school? Have I done a good enough job as a parent? Does God love me? And you get to these big questions eventually, and you cannot sleep for a few hours because this turmoil is is shaking you to your core. Because we as humans ask questions, and we ask questions all the time, and we ask more questions at two in the morning than you will throughout the day for a month or a year. And you can't get away from that. Is that there's these thoughts swirling from your childhood to your doubt hole, downloaded to your cerebral cortex. You worry, your anxiety, your doubts come crashing in, wreaking havoc. And it hurts. Now, I have the opposite problem where I can just sleep anywhere and everywhere. And uh, there's been a few times where I should not be sleeping where I am sleeping. Um, They say you have, uh, what's that, narcolepsy? No, not narcolepsy. What's the one where you fall asleep? Okay, good. There's the narcissistic one. That's different. (laughs) Narcolepsy, where you fall asleep. I used to, I used to drive home, you know, from my, my wife's here, sorry, my girlfriend's house in Calgary. It was like a 45 minute drive. And I'd get to light, it'd be like whatever time, I'm sure seven in the evening, I'm sure it wasn't that late, uh, but I'd be driving home, it's a bit later than that, and I would be so tired, there'd be no other cars on the road that I would just, this is bad, okay? <laughs> Welcome online, please maybe stop the recording for a moment. But I would drive up and I would, <sighs> I was so tired that I would put my foot on the brake just enough knowing that I would stop at the light and I would close my eyes and fall asleep as I braked. 
It ha- this is bad, I know. I was a young, dumb, insurance went way up, I'm sure. I apologize. Um, but what, it was so bad that I would stop, and once I stopped, uh, uh, the brake would, you know, the, the car jerks a little bit, and I'd wake up, oh, so it was so bad. I, I got, got caught, you know, the cops pulled me over one time. It was good. I'm so glad they pulled me over. It was a very bad, but I could sleep anywhere. Nar- narcolepsy, yeah, not nar- yeah, narcolepsy. I can sleep anywhere. We would be traveling across across Canada on missions trips, and uh, I would fall asleep in these vans. And sometimes, again, my wife's here. There would be someone of interest, you know, fourteen-year-old me sitting beside, and you know, my head would lay on their shoulder. I'm sure, on accident for sure, uh, and I'd, I'd pretend to sleep. Uh, but other times, I would genuinely fall asleep for hours at a time, and my head would be under one of you know those fifteen passenger with all the with all the. Uh, all the benches. My head would be underneath one chair, and my feet would be up over the other side, and I would sleep like a baby. I never had problems sleeping, um, unfortunately. Sometimes I wish I had more problems sleeping. But today, we are going to be talking about sleep and how you get to that beautiful sense of sleep. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be going through uh, a few stories in the Gospels. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to start off. And this is why I talk about sleeping. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. That day, when evening came, he said to his his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Then he said to his disciples, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Talk about sleeping absolutely anywhere. I've been to the, uh, I've had the privilege of being to different countries where they would have had these kind of boats. These are not very big boats. They're not the ones that you're, that you're able to really uh, settle in on for the long journey across for a ferry. These are small boats and the winds were crashing and there would have been a lot of commotion. Much like our lives, there's a lot of commotion going on around us at every single moment. At any given time, there can be something that comes up. But Jesus sleeps through that. I want to point ourselves to, uh, to this. It's this actually, this section of scripture is called the sleep of the innocent. I love that, the sleep of the innocent, where you can find rest when your heart is at ease. Now, this is not just about physical sleep, but when you can find rest in life because your heart is at ease, there is no questions. We as humans and this step of faith that we have with God, we are always going to have questions. But Jesus is in this place where he has the sleep of the innocent. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Rembrandt painted a painting called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you can't see it from here, I'm going to show one more picture here. If you can't really see it, uh, you're more than welcome to go on your phones and open it up because I'm going to talk about it for a moment or, or head to it later. And I think it's so interesting, as we have this, this, this scene unfold, you see on this side, um, the light that shines in, but usually light is depicted in calm, but this is uh, shining a light on the pain and the, and the waves that are coming up, and you see the men here, they're, they're pulling at the mast, and they're pulling at everything, they're panicking. 
And then you kind of come over to this side where it's obviously on the darker side. And if you see uh, that one over there, you might be able to see that. You see here, you see here, this is Jesus. And you see Jesus is kind of surrounded. You can see the colors as, as, as these painters would do. The, the colors kind of circle Jesus. And there's a centricity around Christ that there's a bit more of a calm. As people come towards Christ, there's a bit more of a calm. Maybe people are just waking Jesus up. He's getting his head off the pillow. And there's this, there's this side where there's this side over here and this side over here. And how many people would you guess are in this painting? Someone shout it out. Fifteen? How many more? Less? Thirteen? You might say thirteen because you got, the, you got Jesus. And who else do you got? Twelve disciples. We're doing good. But there's, but there's fourteen. You counted really quickly. That's impressive. Well, there's one hidden. No. Uh, there's fourteen. There's 14. Uh, Rembrandt did a lot of self-portraits, as you know. Actually, this painting has gone missing. This painting has been stolen, and no one's ever found it again. I found it. It's here on the screen, so we're good. <laughs> There's actually 14 people, and you have this one character who is like, you know when you're acting, I, I'm not actor, but you know when you're in the movies and you, 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 you look at the camera directly. Here we go, because we have, you look at the camera directly. It's called like shooting the camera or something like that. You shouldn't do that. Rembrandt here, if you look at him, he is looking directly at the painter. And he has this expression, literally, if you go look at it on your phone, he has an expression on his, on his face and his hand on his head like Homer Simpson would have saying, do And you see he's right in the middle of the painting, right on the side of faith and doubt, right in between faith and doubt. And that's where we sit so often. We sit in the middle of this faith and doubt. And we say doubt is so bad, but doubt, what doubt is, is a question. And it's okay to have questions. He says, why are you still afraid? Why do you have doubt? If you stop and if we are able to get to a place of the sacred rest and the sacred sleep, we are coming into a place where you're surrounded by Jesus and a Christ-centered world. But the stark contrast is away from Christ when you're looking and you're working hard, trying to save yourself when salvation is over here by Jesus. This reminds me of another water story. Peter walking on the water. I don't have a cool painting for Peter walking on the water, but I have whatever this is. Peter walking on the, on the water. Peter goes, they go out. Immediately Jesus makes, made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. This is uh, Matthew 14. After he had dismissed them, he went to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out with them walking on the lake, went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified as you would be. It's a ghost, they said, and, he cried out in, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then Peter asks a question. And it's, I want, we'll talk about this in a second, but this is not just a question like, what's the meaning of life? Or, or um, am I going to be able to find my shoes in the morning? This is a bigger question than that. And he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Why is there doubt, Peter? But obviously, Peter's the one showing this big, great show of faith. But he says, why do you doubt? There's three things that I see in this situation. It's okay to ask questions, even the tough questions. Do you want to know what kind of question Peter asked here? He wasn't asking any kind of normal question. He asked him, he asked him a testing question. He tested God. Is this you? If this is you, do this. He demanded of God, which is scary because we don't do that. He asked him a question, if this is you, he already said, this is I, this is me. And nobody else is going to be walking on the water. That's pretty sure. He says, if it's you, I'm going to test you. We don't like to do that. We feel scared when we do that. We're like, ah, that's a bit of a tough one. Do I test God? We know that feeling. We know that understanding. We don't like to do that. But he did that. And his question invited progress in his faith. That big question didn't deter Jesus from a relationship with Peter. He didn't stop and put him on. He's like, you're doubting me. Look, look what I'm doing. He said, okay, you see this now. You still doubt, and we'll get into that, seeing and doubting. You see this now. You still doubt. Come out here and see me. He starts to walk on the water. And as he walks on the water, he begins to sink. And what that tells me, we'll get to this last one in a second. Belief and faith, we say are synonymous, but they're not. And it's okay. I can believe in God, but sometimes my faith shrinks. I promise you, everyone here, you don't have a perfect faith. I don't have a perfect faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's good. But that means it can grow, and that means it can shrink, and that means it can go any which way. And in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of crisis, in the middle of walking on water, your faith can fluctuate, but the belief is still in God. Peter's belief was still there. He was still looking to God, and he was looking for safety. They got back in the boat, and when they got back in the boat... He said, you have a little faith. Why did you? And then we, they climbed back in the boat. Those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Your questions that you have right now that you are scared to share with anybody, your questions may bring others closer to Jesus. The questions that you have burning your heart, the late night, the late night conundrums, the late night panics, the late night hell breaking loose in your heart, those questions, when you bring them into the light, can help other people come closer to Jesus. Nobody else was daring enough to ask that question. Nobody else was daring enough to test God. Peter did. Peter walked on water. His faith shrunk. He still believed, and then others believed. See, the thing with belief and faith is sometimes easier, eh, all the time easier, to believe in a God that created this universe, that created the neurons, that created life, that is absolute ruler over all, that created everything that we live in, instead of being able to say, I believe you want to have a relationship with me. It's easier for the big than it is the small. You would think it's backwards, though. 
I was talking to my friend this week, and he said one of his pastors in Calgary says this, God not only loves you, but he likes you. And that's so weird, because love is supposed to be the one that we cherish. But that understanding that God likes you is so big. The understanding that God is there, God is massive, God is huge, but he's also little and he can come into your life and he can walk with you through your pain and through your sadness and through your heartache. That's why our God is so big. There are three reasons. Oh wait, I want to read this story first. Flannery O'Connor says this, faith comes and goes. It rises and falls like the tides of the invisible ocean. If it is presumptuous to think that the faith will stay with you forever, it is also presumptuous to think that, it will, that unbelief will as well. If you were to think that your faith is going to stay with you exactly the same forever, that may be a bit presumptuous, but it's also presumptuous to think that you're going to stay in a state of doubt forever too. Our lives are going to fluctuate. Our emotions are going to fluctuate because we are humans. The reasons why we doubt is because we are humans, because we are ourselves. We take the innocence of a baby, the trust that is always there, but as we grow, life happens, things change, and we start to question. Our teenagers, our kids become teenagers. I have a couple of teenagers and one, one teenager, and one wants definitely to be a teenager as soon as possible. And the questions they have are real. The actions they have, the fighting against, and the, and, and the way that they live their life is real, and they have questions, and those questions need to be safe in our family. But when these kids, they, they go and they become, they become young adults, and they go to university, they go to college, there are going to be bigger questions. People are going to want certitude. They're going to say, if you're a Christian, tell me exactly the reason why, and there needs to be no holes or no gaps. You know what? Sometimes there's steps of faith. There's heart that knows no reason. So we are ourselves and we have things that we deal with. As you get past college, university, you go into the working world, you go into life, things start to beat you down. Things start to hurt more. Consequences are bigger. Consequences are stronger. And it just we as humans have questions. And that's not a bad thing. That's a very, very good thing. Second thing is why we doubt is our circumstances. I've, uh, I've uh, I guess, presided or done two funerals in the last week of people that died too young. And, and this is what I've been reading when I go to these moments, and I, and I read it again today. The rhythms of life don't afford us the expectations, the expectation of outcomes that are unanticipated. When we walk through life, we have expectations about how things are going to go. We're going to reach the tender age of 120 and then go peacefully in the night. The rhythms of our life, the expectations, the, when you're a kid, the innocence of life and the expectations and the planning of life doesn't afford us the opportunity to change our plans, to end up at a funeral home, to end up at a service where we weren't supposed to be there yet. 
that changes and that allows questions to come in. Saying, God, how can this be? How can this hurt be? How are we allowed to walk through this? We have a lovely girl in our young adults. And yesterday she was in a motorcycle accident. She died. And that's not a rhythm of life that any of us expected. And that's going to cause a lot of questions. That's going to cause a lot of hurt. And you want to honor life, but also understand that death is real. And our expectations and the rhythm of our life change. And that allows questions, and those questions are okay. If you can't ask a question in that moment, when can you ask a question? So our circumstances dictate doubt sometimes. And our spiritual battles dictate doubt. What a spiritual battle is, when doubt comes from doubting God's love, that's when you can tell that it's a spiritual battle. If you are in a moment and you wake up at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, you're like, God, you don't love me, or there's nothing here, you don't care for me anymore, you would rather be somewhere else, that is a spiritual battle. That is something that we need to stop, we need to fight against, and we need to pray into. Say, God, this is not true. And then when you bring that question the next morning into the light of day, you'll be able to breathe more, breathe easier. Say, God, you do love me. Even more so when you take that doubt and you take that, when you take that question to somebody else in your community and say, here, take this burden. That is when those doubts can become eased. Chris Green says that not all doubt is doubt. Sometimes it's just think, thinking. You can think, you know that? In our certitude-full certitude-full world of uh, evangelical Christian Christianity, we tend to not want to ask questions sometimes. Sometimes we need to get to our first line of thinking, and that's as far as we can go. But in our Christian subculture, we don't want to get from our first to second thoughts, let alone our third and fourth thoughts, thoughts on a subject. We want to stay at the beginning and just accept. But sometimes thinking is okay. Actually, it's usually okay. It's always okay. But we don't want to doubt because we have a doubt, we have equated doubt to our experience in relationships. You know, if, if your kids doubt your love for you, you'd be heartbroken. But it's different when we're talking with God because it's just thinking and it's expressing and God is so much bigger. He understands every part of who we are. And sometimes that thinking and that doubt can be a work from the Spirit and I'll tell you why. Because sometimes the Spirit allows questions for things that we shouldn't be thinking about God in the first place. We've established thoughts that maybe we don't actually need to always have. Has any of you in your lifetime ever changed your mind a little bit on your faith? I think so. I had a attention one time years ago, years and years ago now, so I can always tell the story when it's years past. I was in a meeting with a boss of mine, and he says, I want whoever works with me to think the exact same way as me. And in my young, inappropriate attitude, I said, so if you change your mind, do I have to change my mind too? 
He says, yes. I'm like, okay, then we were just not in a good place anymore at that moment. But we need to be allowed to think. We need to be allowed to change our minds. But we need to circle back on Jesus. We need to circle back on the word. And we need to circle back on who he is. But it's okay to have thoughts and doubts and uncertainty. What we need to do as a church is I think we need to normalize uncertainty. Normalize questions. And you know what? This talk may not be for everybody because there's a lot of people that have this amazing faith that it just, it's, it's unwavering. And that's good. And I want to encourage you in that. But I think there's an equal amount of people, if not more, that can feel uncertain sometimes. And I think we need to normalize uncertainty. Not saying that Jesus isn't who he is, that Jesus isn't God. That's not what we're talking about, the core of our faith. We're talking about the questions we as, human asks, we as humans ask around that certainty of who Jesus is. There is no mistaking and no moving who Jesus is, but our questions around it as humans are always going to be circling, always going to be changing. And that's okay. One third of people who leave the faith do so because of skepticism and doubt. So one third of the people walk out these doors because they don't feel like they can be a little bit skeptical of some of the things that we're talking about. I listened to a story today about Moses when they were in battle and he was holding his arms up with the big staff and whenever he put his arms down, what happened? The other army would start to win and he put his arms back up, the other, the, 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 God's army started to win. If you don't have questions about that, I would like to talk to you after and see how you came to that point where that, wow, that's amazing. And then he started to put his arms down and then, then his Aaron and his friends came up and lifted his arms up. And whenever he lifted his arms up, they started winning. And whenever they lifted his arms down, they started losing. You could see some kind of like a Monty Python sketch going on in this moment, I'm sure. But those are big things. How does the ark hold the presence of God? Those are big questions. And they're okay to ask. If we don't allow these questions to ask, we're going to keep on losing that one third that doesn't, aren't allowed to ask questions. So one-third of people leave because they're not allowed to ask questions. Another one-third of young adult Christians, that's two-thirds almost gone now. Oh boy, there's another third after here. The stats might not be completely right, or there'll be no young adults in the church. <laughs> one-third of young adult Christians feel that they cannot ask the most pressing questions in church. There's a lot of pressing questions. and They feel like they can't ask them. And one-third of young adult Christians feel as though Christians are too confident that they have all the answers. Phil always tells me, he says, Jordan, say this number, whatever thousand number of uh, denominations there are, 40,000, 60,000 different denominations in this world, there's a lot of questions of how we became 40,000 different groups of people as opposed to one group of person. And that's Okay. We need to allow questions. Romans 3 talks about how God is faithful even when we're not. That's what I want us to take away. In our dark times, in our doubt, God is faithful even when we're not faithful. He is faithful to the end. He walks with us to the end even when we have our difficult times. The second thing is, is not to deny doubt. 
Uh, Blaise Pascal is one of the greatest mathematical minds ever, 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 I guess. And uh, he says, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. There is equations in mathematics and science that they always come to, but then there's a leap that comes when it comes to love, and there's a leap that comes when it comes to faith. And I want to talk, apologetics is great, and we can study, and we can look at, and we can try to find everything that we are looking for, and we can try to find the answers, but there's always going to be a step of faith in our hearts. I could say, I love you to sell, but to my wife, I could say, I love you, and there could be all the reasons in the world, the statistics, but there, there is this idea that, that, that love, is love real? In its essence, we would say yes, but there's also a question, because it's actually not quite provable, but we know it exists. Matthew 28, 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They saw Jesus, they worshipped Jesus, but some still doubted. If we deny doubt, doubt can grow into a monstrous form, and it will try to lock you in a closet. It's okay to ask questions. Faith is not the eradication of all doubt or questions. Faith is how we engage with that other world of God that there is not always evidence of. Do your homework. Find out as much as you can. With that loving touch of God, that amazing miracle that you experience, sometimes there's just not going to be that concrete evidence, but you know in your heart, I know in my heart, that God is with us. And we have to trust that process to draw near to him. And to write says, many arguments for God's existence run the risk of being pointing a flashlight towards the sky to prove the sun exists. Let's think about that for a while. It's hard for, I've tried to think about that all week, but I like it. Take a flashlight, point to the sky, see, look, I found the sun. It's right there. I can tell you it exists. And they're like, yeah, I know it exists. It's right there. Find evidence, do your due diligence. Sometimes there's a step of faith knowing that God loves you and knowing he walks with you. Third thing is think for yourself. Everybody wants to go home today. Not now, don't go home yet. You're allowed to though, don't worry. Don't take whatever someone says up here or someone says on the internet or someone says anywhere in the comment sections on Facebook as the truth. Go look for yourself, research for yourself, think for yourself. I don't think it's healthy, Addison Hodges says, I don't think it's healthy to take anything simply because authority has said so. I think it's good to think for yourself, kind of like an archaeologist. If you start digging into something, two, one of two things are going to happen. If you've heard of something, you're going to start digging into it, and you start digging into it, one of two things are going to happen. One, you're going to find what you're looking for. Hey, I was right all along. The second thing is you might dig deep and begin to see that the truth that you were looking for is not actually there. The thing that you thought was there might not actually be there the whole time, and you need to start looking elsewhere, and that's not bad. As we keep Christ the center and we allow Him to inform who we are and how we think and how we move and how we do things, as we look, as we search... Sometimes we'll see shifts and we'll change things. 
We say skepticism is bad, but skepticism isn't always bad. A positive about skepticism is that you'll strengthen your understanding of either side of an argument. On the other side is you'll find charity to those people that have agreed with something that you now disagree with, but you understand how they got there because you researched every possible angle of that thing. You find charity with those you disagree with. How much better would this world be as if we found charity for those who we disagree with? We had an election yesterday. Somebody won, somebody lost. Charity is probably not going to be the top of people's minds on the losing and the winning side. That's what we want. We want charity to understand that people can draw different conclusions. And that's okay. The ultimate thing that we need to do is draw close to God and He will draw close to you. After all of the life that we go through, and the pain that we go through, we go back to our roots, back to seeing the sleeping Jesus, back to understanding that, and that picture, the people that draw close to Jesus are the ones that have peace. As we pull away, try to find our answers some elsewhere, you come further away, you come further into a world of pain and, and suffering, but as you draw close to Jesus, you're still in that world of pain and suffering, but you're surrounded in the presence of Christ. It's known as that dark night of the soul when you're going through pain and you're going through questions about who God is and, and why am I here and, and the big questions of life that always come up at two in the morning and you stop and you stop and you say, I'm going to cling to the one that I love even though I don't know for sure what is going on, this is the anchor that I have. Oh, here you go. Here's some slides I didn't show yet. Mark 9. My last section of the Gospels that we read a story. Jesus had just returned from the Mount of Transfiguration. People saw everything at this moment. They came down the mountain. When they returned to the, to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of, of, of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran out to greet him. What's all this arguing about, Jesus said. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you to heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever they, the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and be, he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. When the evil spirit saw Jesus, he threw the child into the violent convulsions and, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean? This is another question of Jesus. If I can, anything is possible for a person who believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe. 
but help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The process of drawing close to someone that you feel is so far away is difficult. But that prayer we can pray is, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Pray for our young adults as they've seen and they have felt and they've experienced a pain that no one should be experiencing. Pray that they do believe, but help them overcome their unbelief. The healings in the New Testament and in the Gospels are interesting. Jesus has brought people and he says, your faith has healed you. But that's not all. He says to somebody else, my faith has healed you. But that's not all. He says to somebody else, their faith has healed you. There's so many different ways that faith can be expressed in community towards Jesus. That means we are lifting each other up, encouraging each other, walking with each other to the foot of Jesus. Sometimes you might not have that ability to walk to Jesus. Sometimes you may not have that ability to believe fully for yourself. My faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your friend's faith has healed you. There's beauty in the community that we have. When we feel doubt, when we feel alone and lost, we go to him. There's a song by the great design. It's called I Still Believe. I'm not going to read the whole thing because that's a long song. But it says, but I still believe, I still believe through the pain and the grief, through the lies of the storm, through the cries and through the wars, I still believe. I'm flat on my back out at sea. Hopping these waves don't co- hoping these waves don't cover me. I'm turned and tossed upon the waves. When the darkness comes, I feel the grave, but I still believe. I'm going to read this story, and a lot of this, my thoughts on faith and doubt come from this book, Faith in the Shadows, by Austin Fisher. Finding Christ in the Midst of Doubt. And I, again, I'll just give a little warning, but I'm going to try to skip over some of the diff- more difficult parts. It's all difficult. It's called God of the Gallows. Nobel Peace Prize winner Ellie Whistle lived through the Holocaust. His memoir, Night, is filled with heartbreaking stories we wish we could forget. But one especially unforgettable. A young boy is sentenced to death, accused of participating in a conspiracy. The guards commence their usual execution ritual, preparing the gallows and gathering the prisoners. Executions were normal, but the execution of a child was not. The guards were noticeably nervous. Whistle watched in a state of numbed horror as the noose is placed around the boy's neck. Behind him, he hears someone muttering, where is merciful God? Where is he? The chair is kicked over, and things happened. And then as they do, they walk the people past the gallows, the rest of the prisoners, to send a message. And behind him, I heard the same, mask, the same man asking, For God's sake, where is God? 
And from within me, I heard a voice answer. Where he is, there is where, hanging here from the gallows. There is God hanging from the gallows. His meaning is clear. His faith in God hangs in those gallows with that little boy. He has seen too much, shouldered too much reality, and has been undone. Who can blame him? I cannot blame him. But while I honor Weasel's meaning, I have always been drawn to another meaning, perhaps fuller up and fuller in. There is God hanging from the gallows. It is not a moment of divine absence, but divine presence. God is there hanging. Not a very divine thing to do. This is the great mystery of incarnation and, and crucifixion. God takes on flesh and suffer, suffers with us. It is not an answer to the question of suffering. It is a reminder that God has borne the full weight of sorrow. For only a God or the Son of God could bear being human. It is a reminder that instead of explaining our suffering, God shares it. Even in his resurrected body, we are told that Jesus kept the holes of the crucifixion nails in his hands and the spear in his side. And it is by these wounds that Thomas recognizes him. So I've often wondered, if Jesus kept the holes where the nails entered his hands and the spear entered his side, surely he kept the hole where the spear entered his heart. Surely Jesus, even now, is God with a hole in his heart. And perhaps it is by this wound, preserved eternally in the heart of God, that we recognize him. Why, God, would you permit such? Why permit such suffering for yourself, for us? I don't know. I might not never know. And yet there is God, hanging from the gallows. God, with a hole in his heart. God is with us in our suffering. And he's with us in our doubt. Worship team, if you want to come. We're going to end with a song just to sit with this thought. Perhaps this is something that's just passed by. But perhaps this is something that you are struggling with, your faith that seems to be in the shadows, sliding away from you. But our place that we want to be is that sleep of the innocent, with our heart directly pointed to God holding close and holding near. Forgive us, O God, when we limit you, when we remake you in our image, when we claim our causes as your own, when we box you in and explain you away, and in our attempts at understanding, whittle away all mystery. Forgive us for our human impulses that change us. Awaken us to your blinding glory. Confound us by your love. Shower us with grace so that we will be made new, recreated in your image, grateful for all those we cannot know. In the name of Jesus, who brought us closer to you, we pray. Amen.